Oops, I uh, didn't turn the mic on. Um, but we're going to continue our series that we began a few weeks ago. And uh, we have been studying the seven churches, the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And uh, again, John is exiled on an island called Patmos. And as he is in exile, God appears to him, Jesus appears to him, and uh, he dictates a letter to seven different locations, churches in seven different locations in Asia Minor, which would be pretty much modern-day Turkey around that area, okay? And so far, we have covered the letter to Ephesus, we covered the letter to Smyrna, and the letter to Pergamum. Now we're going to take a look at the letter to the church in Thyatira, Thyatira, <laughs> and I know that's hard to say, isn't it? Thyatira, and uh, the title of my message is this, Dancing with Jezebel. Dancing with Jezebel. Um, Jesus actually has some pretty strong things to say to this church uh, as he dictates these uh, words to John for him to start writing. And uh, I, I want to share them with you here today. And uh, I think we could really, I think we could really benefit and, and be encouraged by this particular letter. This, this letter, uh, Jesus is uh, exposing not only what's going on around the church, because if you remember the letters that we, that we talked about before, there was some bad doctrine going on around the church, and some of it kind of infiltrated. But nowhere have we seen Jesus call out a really specific situation in one of these churches so far, like he does here to this church in Thyatira. And so I want to read this to you here today as we explore Dancing with Jezebel. All right, so we are in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, then you can watch on the screen with me. And I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, if you would, please. And we will look at this together. Okay, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Here we go. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. 
So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira... To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery just as I have received uh, authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's see what it means to dance with Jezebel today. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us. Uh, your word's powerful, so is your Holy Spirit. And now I ask you, Lord God, that you would move in this place as we explore your word together. And Lord, I'll thank you for what you do. And we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Dancing with Jezebel. <laughs> so I want to get right to it if we could. Um, again, you'll, you'll remember, okay, that the... Uh, the, the, the typical flow of these letters, Jesus identifies himself, he describes himself in, in, in a certain way, and then he will often compliment them first, here's what you're doing right, then he'll uncover what is wrong and why he's writing, then he will give some incentive to change, if not affirm people that are doing the right thing like he does here, and then he'll give some uh, promises to end his letter. And that's what we see here today. But what I'd like to do is to uh, highlight this letter in three different parts here today. Because what had taken place apparently was some, some things were happening on the inside of this church that prompted Jesus to write this letter. Let me just say that the worst diseases that we know of in mankind are the ones that start from the inside and they work out. Would you agree with that? Okay. Uh, it's one thing if this church were to be attacked from the outside. You know, a group of people protesting, saying that we're a bunch of weirdos, and, and they could be half right. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but a bunch of people maybe coming against our church, there would be something going on here where we would rise up and say, uh-uh, that's, that's not Bethel, that's not us. You, you, got it, you got it wrong. But the enemy often tries to infect his church like a tumor does the human body. And he will try to infect it from the inside. And Jesus is dealing with a spiritual infection that has taken place from within this church in Thyatira. So let me give you these three uh, parts of this. And the first one, 
I'm going to spend more time on than the last two combined, okay? Uh, Jesus identifies the fact that there is, number one, there is some deception going on in this church. There is some deception going on in this church in Thyatira. Now, look again at verse 20. I've got it for you on the screen. It says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, there is debate as to what Jesus is referring to. There are some that believe that Jezebel, this woman that Jesus was identifying, was an actual woman in the church who called herself a prophetess. But unfortunately, she was leading people astray with her teaching. And what she was prophesying was not prophecy at all. It was actually deception and was leading some people astray. Let me just pause and tell you that just because someone calls themselves a prophet, just because somebody calls themselves an apostle, and they even have a business card that says that, just because somebody calls themselves a, a spiritual authority, that doesn't mean they are. Amen. But pastor... They have a YouTube video. They don't let false stuff on the internet, do they? Yeah, they do. And, and, and again, let me just pause and tell you, anybody can make a YouTube video. That doesn't mean they are an authority on a subject. I will say that again. Folks, I make YouTube videos all the time. It's really simple to do. And now in this age of social media, we think that because somebody has a fancy graphic and they sound like they know what they're talking about, that they got it all together. And that's not the case. On the flip side, some people don't think that Jesus is referring to an actual woman, but he's actually referring to a doctrine that he identifies as Jezebel. And that has somehow creeped into the church. Maybe not necessarily through a particular individual, but it has creeped into the church and it has affected people and has deceived them and it's caused them to get off track in their relationship with the Lord. Deception. Let me remind us that we are living in a time where there is a great deal of deception. And now some of it has made its way within the church capital C. I'm not talking Bethel as much as I'm talking the universal church, the church all over. And we're in those times right now. Sure, there, there are some things that are being said and peddled as fact. There are some things that are being shared that just are not accurate at all. Now, the Bible tells us that these times are coming. In fact, I will tell you that these times are already here. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things 
taught by demons. I've seen people that were in ministry, and now they have abandoned the foundations of the Word of God. I've seen people who had legitimate experiences with the Lord, and now they've turned their back on God and they're believing something that is so anti what the Bible has to say. Maybe I can give you some examples. In 2020, well, remember that year? 2020? That was a good five years that year. Uh, There was a survey of people of faith, hundreds of people of faith. And the results of that survey were very, very interesting. And I have singled out the responses of people who identify themselves not only as Christians, but as Pentecostal Christians. These are Christians that attend a Pentecostal church, like the Assemblies of God, or the Church of God, or Foursquare, or or maybe an independent Pentecostal church. Are you with me so far? So these, these... Survey results are among people very much like us. Check this out. 76% of Pentecostal believers do not believe that we are all sinners. 76% folks. These are people that are going to churches much like ours. I'm reminded that Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned and we come short of the glory of God, right? Let's keep going. 66% of Pentecostal believers believe that the Holy Spirit is merely a symbol of God's power and not an actual member of the Trinity. Two-thirds. Two-thirds. Let me pause and just tell you that the Holy, the Holy Ghost is God. It's not Jesus' little brother. It's God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all equally God. I better, I better keep going. 69% of Pentecostal believers believe that there is no moral absolute for all people. Our moral absolute, by the way, is the Word of God. But nearly 7 out of 10 do not believe that that is our guide for our morals. 49%, almost half of believers, Pentecostal believers, believe that one can go to heaven by merely doing good works. What am I uncovering? Deception. One more. I mean, I got a whole chart. And, and it gives the results for Pentecostals, Evangelicals, Catholics, and mainline, mainline denominations. Uh, it, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. 32% of Pentecostal believers believe the Bible is not trustworthy or reliable. One third. What is going on? Deception. Deception. Again, Paul told Timothy, in the later days, in the later times, people will abandon the faith and they will embrace things that are evil, that are the doctrine of demons. Uh, 
this is what we're seeing right now. This is what we're seeing right now. In fact, let, let me share, if I could, a few teachings that have crept into the current church. Should be a capital C there. And it, it is all over. First of all is the doctrine of universalism. What does that teach? That teaches, universalism teaches that all roads lead to heaven. That everybody goes to heaven. The Muslim goes to heaven. The Hindu goes to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. How many of you know that's not correct? Okay. That might be politically correct, but it's not biblically correct. The longer, you, the longer I'm in this thing, I'm realizing that politically correct and biblically correct seldom agree. Universalism. How about the prosperity gospel? Now, this one might bug some of you. But this is the belief that God's primary concern for us is to be healthy and to be wealthy. If Christians are sick or suffering or poor, it's because they have a lack of faith. Next, believe it or not, the New Age movement, which is really not new at all. (laughs) And that is creeping into the church. It's a belief system of Eastern influence that emphasizes universal tolerance and doing what feels good no matter what your moral code is. It claims that a man is divine and mankind can create their own reality and their own identity. Legalism. This is the improper use of the law described in Scripture to try to attain salvation or maintain salvation. Legalism also brings about judgment to fellow Christians for not adhering to one's own idea of what holiness should be rather than trying to encourage Christ. This is the belief that if your hair is not a certain length or is too long, guys, that that disqualifies you from heaven. For example, some of you were brought up in that. And then the total opposite of legalism, and this is a new one, hyper-grace. Hyper-grace. There are popular TV preachers that are all about this. That doesn't make it right. It's the overreaction to legalism. That's what this is. It results in the abuse of God's grace. Believers find themselves drawn to a modern hyper-grace because they are looking for freedom from legalism, but they're also looking for freedom from God's standards. So it's the belief that if you prayed the prayer and got saved, 
then not only did he forgive all of your sins up to that point, but he's also going to forgive all the ones that you do later. And so do whatever you want, because hyper grace, that God's grace is there. And, and what it does, you see, what it does, it whittles down scriptures that tell us that we should be holy like God is holy. In, in fact, what, what's our response? Well, first of all, Paul again tells Timothy to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Who correctly handles the word of truth. This is why it's important for us to come to church as much as we can because this helps us. God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to be able to speak the word of God to each of us so that we can learn and grow. That's why we're here. That's why we do Wednesday night Bible study. That's why we do five minutes with Phil. That's why we have an adult Sunday school class. We have all of these opportunities so that we can learn how to correctly handle the word of truth. We cannot go soft on how we handle the word of God. So what do we say to all these false doctrines? Well, first of all, to the, to the universalist, the one that believes that all roads lead to heaven, we say this, no one will be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Nobody. Only those who choose to repent and call on the name of Jesus will have eternal life. May I remind you, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, pastor, that's kind of rigid. That's kind of tight. That's kind of narrow. Folks, if Jesus were to die on a cross and yet there be a back door to heaven other than him, then Jesus was the biggest fool that ever lived. But he isn't and he wasn't. Jesus paid the price for my sin and through him only, only do I have eternal life. To the prosperity gospel. This is what we say. Jesus promised us that we will suffer. In fact, if you were in our Wednesday night class recently, we unpacked this, where God has actually called his church to suffer for the glory of God, to advance the gospel of Jesus. You mean God's okay with me being uncomfortable? Yeah, he is. And this idea that God is more concerned about your comfort than your character is straight from the pit of hell. But he's with us when we suffer. And he helps us overcome the world. I'm going to say this. I've said it many times, I'm going to say it again. If a doctrine is not universal, it's not a doctrine. What do I mean by that? If it doesn't work in the entire world, then it doesn't work in any part of the world. So if it doesn't work in Africa, it doesn't work in Akron. If it doesn't work in China, then it doesn't work here. God's word is applicable to all 
of humanity, and his doctrines stand the test of time. There is no geographical limit. There is no time limit. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you say amen? amen. To the New Agers, to the New Agers, we say this, there is only one sovereign God, creator of all things, and he is not you. Oh, we're all little gods. No, you're not. <laughs> you, you are far from that. In the name of Jesus, get over yourself. You are not him. You are not even close to him. I got to keep going. Uh, where am I at? Here we go. To the legalist, those of us who put earthly standards on whether a person is spiritually acceptable, we say this. If righteousness were achievable through the law, then Christ would not have had to die. So if I could become righteous by my attire and by my hair length or whatever I have left up here. <laughs> Ladies, how you dress, whether it's above the knee or below the knee, uh, God does not have a measuring stick when you die. Now, I believe that God calls his people to be modest. Can you say amen? Okay. But we diminish the word of God when we make it a set of rules and convictions that, by the way, have a tendency to change from time to time. And again, God's word never changes. Now, if you've got a conviction that's different than mine, that's fine. But please don't make it a, a determining factor as to whether I'm getting to go to heaven or not. Okay? So, uh, <laughs> there's this funny old song. If there's hair in your ear, there's sin in your heart. Anybody ever hear that? That is the best song. Oh, my goodness. We used to play it in Bible college all the time. Um, it's probably just a Bible college thing. But... Uh, uh, if you think if you think that a person with a uh, a tight haircut is going to get to heaven and a person with a mullet is not, then you need to understand that that's just not the case. And I speak as the one who used to rock the mullet in the '80s. Let me just say that. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> and now I have no chance. So, are you hearing me? If we have now, if you have that conviction, okay, but let's not assign an eternal tag on that thing. That's where it goes too far. That's where it goes too far. Now, let's flip it on its head a little bit to the people that are all about the hyper grace. That God not only forgave me for my past, but he's forgiven me for my future sins. So, woo, here we go. We're going to have a blast. And that's not what the word of God says. God's grace has freed us from the bondage of sin, but we should not receive that sacrifice in vain. We should repent and seek to live under the lordship of Christ. Hypergrace will accept Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Well, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll pray the prayer. But I still want to do whatever I want to do. Wrong. That's not how it works. Jesus forgives me of my sin, but I make him in charge of my life. 
He is my Lord and my Savior. So it's this kind of deception that has crept in to the capital C church, even today. I don't know what Jesus would have, call, would have called it last, if he wrote a letter, I should say, in 2022. Man, I've got some great jokes going on, and I'm not going to tell any of them. But in the first century, he called it Jezebel. And if we find ourselves dancing with Jezebel, if we find ourselves compromising in our faith in God, that this is the image I want to give you. If we find ourselves compromising, if we find ourselves being deceived by teaching, I'm not even going to dignify it by calling it doctrine. If, if we find ourselves deceived this way, what do we do? What do we do about it? I want to take it to the second part. The second part of this letter, not only is there deception, but I want to talk about the delusion that comes with this. See, because this is what sin does. Sin will not only change how you think, but it also changes how you act. And sin will not only change how you act, but it also changes how you think. Verses 21 and 22 of our text start us off by saying this, I've given her time to repent of her immorality. Look at that again. This is Jesus talking. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds." It's interesting for me to see the Lord's patience in this scripture. All this deception is going on, and Jesus says, I'm going to give you time to repent. But let's understand something. When Jesus says, that's enough, that's a scary thing. And so many will surround themselves and shower themselves with cheap grace. That they will allow the deception to keep taking place, not only in their lives, but then if we're not careful, and saying, here's the deal. Here's the deal, Christian. If you allow yourself to be deceived, then you are actually going to end up influencing somebody else to be deceived as well. Parents, I'll say it again. What you laugh at, what you tolerate, your children will embrace. Quote me on that. I've seen it too many times. What we allow ourselves to do in front of a weaker believer, that weaker believer, that young, not mature yet believer, will say, oh, well, that must be okay. And then they will be deceived as well. And see, this is where, I, I truly believe this, this is where God begins to draw the line. Because it's one thing if you're going to mess up your own life. 
But if you start messing up the lives of his church, and if you start messing up the lives of the people around you, and if you start messing around with the lives of the people who are so young in their faith, then I think there's a time where God draws a line, and that church is a scary thing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13 says, uh, that's not the right verse. Oh, well, let's go to the next one. As God's co-workers, we urge you to not receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the time of salvation. I meant to read Hebrews 10, 31, that says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Am I trying to scare you today? No, no. But could it be, could it be, that we have fallen for deception and then other people are following our example and we don't, under, we don't realize the impact that that is making. And I believe that the Lord is calling his church to not allow compromise to enter into their life whatsoever. And I want to close this message by giving you what I think is the Lord's direction for all of us and the direction for Thyatira. He identified the people that were dancing with Jezebel. He identified the people that had been deceived, but then he, then he singles out a few people, and he says this in verses 24 and 25. He says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except, get this last phrase, Hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have until I come. <laughs> How tight is your grip on the things that matter? Let me ask you again. How tight is your spiritual grip on the things that really matter? This may shock some of you, but I was at a drive through this week. Go ahead and laugh. It, it, yeah, it's okay. And the woman handed me my food, and, uh, and she dropped it. And she's like, I am so sorry. Now, folks, I'm a professional drive through receiver. <laughs> and I told her, honey, it ain't your fault. I just, I didn't have a tight grip on this thing. Oh, I'll get you something new. I said, nah. I just picked it up out of the parking lot and I ate it in my car like God intended. It was in the bag, okay? Don't worry. People, I think there's like burger patties on the parking lot. <laughs> Some of you are like, he's the most disgusting pastor I've ever seen. I didn't have a good grip. So I dropped. I dropped something that cost me $3.06. But how tight is our grip on those things in our spiritual lives that are more precious than what we could ever imagine? And Jesus told this church, hold on to what you have. And, and 
I honestly think that there are some things that the Lord is challenging us to hold on to. And I want to leave you with this encouraging word today and this challenge for you today. Number one, hold on to our word. Hold on to the word of God. Don't let anybody tell you that this book is obsolete. Don't let anybody tell you that this book is antiquated. Don't let anyone tell you that this book doesn't matter or only spoke to story. It's a book full of stories. I read that on, online. I thought, oh, ooh, it just infuriated me. This is the word of God. There are people that die, there are people that die in other countries just for owning this book. We should hold on to the word of God with everything. Don't let compromise come because, folks, our culture is very much anti-word of God. We have to hold on to the word until Jesus comes back. We should also hold on to our worship. Hold on to our worship. Not just the few songs that we sing here at a corporate gathering, but your personal time with the Lord don't let that go. Don't lose your grip on that. Or maybe as we talk about our corporate time here in this room, maybe the temptation is to merely see words on a screen and, and not really think it's much more, but, but understand. In fact, I, I encouraged uh, a, a bunch of pastors this morning on a Facebook post. I said, let's not be so into running services that we fail to connect with the King of Kings this morning. May we not be so consumed with anything else that we forget, that we forget when we sing Good, Good Father. We're not just rattling off words like it's some glorified karaoke time, but what we're doing, we are talking to our Father, our Heavenly Father, and we say, Lord, you are a good Father. Lord, you are perfect in all of your ways to us. That's, that's worship. It doesn't come from our head, it comes from our hearts. Can you say amen? Let's hold on to our word. Let's hold on to our worship. Let's hold on to our work. We have a job to do. Let's work while it's still day, the scripture says. Jesus is coming soon, folks. Whatever you do, do it with excellence for the kingdom of God. When we get ready for these two big outreaches in this next two months, let's give God everything. Let's not give them a half-hearted effort. There are lives at stake. I believe that this year. I believe that. I pray over those emails that we send advertising this thing. It's like, God, please, let something resonate with somebody as they see that graphic. They might be coming for a couch, but may they find Christ as well. Let's give God everything. Let's give them everything, and then finally... Let's hold on to our witness. Let me tell you the most valuable thing that you own. It's your testimony. Your testimony. And how many times are we tempted to lose our grip on our testimony? Maybe we're mad. God forbid the server maybe didn't give you a third refill. And so you're just going to give them the business. You know what? Maybe you could just chill out and understand that you're representing Jesus Christ at that restaurant. The pizza guy. The cashier. The person that you work with. The person that you go to school with. If you, if you take an Uber, that driver, 
we are representing Jesus Christ. And we dare not lose grip of our testimony because we're emotional, because we're angry, because we're hungry, because we're upset. Hold on to what you have. So here's what the Lord, I think, is saying to all of us here today. To those of us who haven't been deceived, and we've not fallen for any false teaching or doctrine, then God's word to all of us is this. Hold on to the word. Hold on to your worship. Hold on to your work. And hold on to your witness. And don't let go. Don't let go. Keep a tight grip on those things because you have got to hang on to those things until I come back. But to those of us who maybe have danced with Jezebel, maybe we have found ourselves giving into some things that we shouldn't be giving into. Maybe we have found ourselves saying yes when we should be saying no. Maybe we've allowed our boundaries to weaken in our spiritual lives. God's word would, would be this. I was almost going to say, can I have this dance? <laughs> That's pretty good. God's word would be stop dancing with her. Don't, don't, be, don't be the type of person that falls for the false teaching. Don't allow a compromise to come into your life. And by all means, understand that you might be impacting someone else's life with that. Jesus would say, stop the dance. Stop the dance. Stop tolerating this. Make some changes if you need to make some changes. But let's stop dancing and let's get a firm grip on what the Lord has for us. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me, please? It's a different kind of message in this series, but it's a different kind of letter that Jesus wrote in this series. And so I, I want to encourage us today because to be quite honest with you, the big response to this really takes place outside of this building. And so I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that you would not fall victim to deception, but you would hold on to all that Jesus has given you. The word, our worship, our work, our witness. Hold on and don't let go. I'm going to pray. And if you need to respond to the word today, I want to invite you to make a, just a private altar you and him. Maybe you want to go to the front and pray. Maybe you just want to sit at your seat. Well, let's respond to God and his word. Can we do that? And when you're done and he's finished with you this morning, then let's, let's walk this out outside of this place. Let's not blow it during dinner time today. <laughs> let's not blow it at work. Let's not blow it at school. Let, let, let's, let's hold on to what we have until Jesus comes. So Lord, I'm asking you that your word would go with us today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that your convicting power would catch us when we find ourselves doing things and saying things and going to uh, spiritual places that we have no business going to. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work in us so much that we are walking in your spirit. God, if there be 
any who find themselves dancing with Jezebel, allowing things in our lives that do not belong. Jesus, change us today, and we repent of that. And we ask you, Lord, to forgive us. So, Lord, give us the strength to hold on to your word, to our worship, to our work, to our witness. And God, may that begin now. May we carry that the rest of this week. Lord, I thank you. We love you. Now go with us in your name, and we all said amen. Amen. If you need to get along with God, do so. God's released you. You can consider yourself dismissed. God bless you. Worthy of every song we could ever sing.